music can be many things in our lives, uh, but those times when I realize that music is a prayer becomes a gift. Thank you. Good morning, Hope Hill. I bring you greetings from Fellowship Congregational Church, where I am a member, and my pastor, the Reverend Chris Moore. And I appreciate being able to worship with you today. I met Kathy, Pastor Kathy, many years ago when I was a student at Phillips Theological Seminary. And uh, a little bit later, Kathy appeared there too, and we have had good times together. Upon graduation, Kathy went into the parish ministry, and I found myself at David Elmas Criminal Justice Center, where a friend and I now coordinate the classes for men and women that center around domestic violence awareness. And so I am here today as a Christian of the progressive flavor, grounded in Christian texts. I also work with the women and men at the Tulsa County Jail, whom I have come to call beloved daughters and sons of God. As one who works at the jail, being nudged out of my comfort zone is something I'm fairly used to. However, when Pastor Kathy called and told me that the theme for the day would be power, theme, wait a minute, no New Testament, Old Testament, Gospel, and, and uh, letters, uh, I was lost. And this was summer solstice Sunday, she told me. Right. I was momentarily discombobulated. What's a good Christian girl to do with that? What is a good Christian girl to do? She might consider for a moment that she stands in that rich congregational tradition of the United Church of Christ and that she's been invited to stand with the other foot in that rich traditional Congregation of, unite, of Unitarian Universalists. So I googled summer solstice. <laughs> solstice, the sun standing still. That mystical turning point of the year when for one brief moment time stands still. And that thin veil between Heaven and earth, light, stillness, fertility, turning toward new beginnings, metanoia, theologians would say, a powerful celebration that calls for drums and bonfires and feasts and picnics and dancing and song and fairies. (laughs) I don't get to say that in my tradition. (laughs) Sensual experiences. In my tradition, the parallel is Pentecost, a mystical turning point of howling wind and tongues of fire in the springtime of the year, turning toward new beginnings, metanoia. And this Sunday, June 26th, happens to be the sixth Sunday of the season of Pentecost. So here we are in the apex Summer's peak, winds rushing through long hours of light, turning towards new beginnings. There is power in those images of summer solstice and Pentecost. 
power. We have a definition for power at the jail. Power, we say, is the ability to change things or to keep them the same, just the way they are. It's our choice. It's our freedom to choose. Power. Echoed in the words of the Apostle Paul, powers is ours in the freedom to which we are called. The power to love one another or the power to consume one another. Paul's letter reflects the essence of every faith tradition in the world, from Zoroaster to Judaism to Islam and Quaker. It's the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's the platinum rule, treat others the way they would like to be treated. The rules defined love. And Paul says that through love becomes slaves to one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, 24-7, working hard, subjected to others, and obliged to submit. Slave-like love. Paul's letter is not just about love, you heard. It's a warning. Listen again. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Sometimes I fear we missed the warning and we leaped right into the consuming. Have you watched Revenge, Justify, Revenant, or even Spotlight? Do you pay attention to the breaking news? And what about politics? We hear biting and devouring when opponents dehumanize with phrases like subhuman mongrel, troglodyte, Neanderthals, or even pigs in a blanket. Dehumanizing allows politicians and us to put a label on others. And when we label, then we target. And when we target, then we destroy We hear biting and devouring when politicians misrepresent the views of others. A statement like, we're spending too much on on roads, with just a slight little twist, can sound like, they believe that we shouldn't spend any money on roads. Obfuscating the truth, pandering to self-interest at another's expense. And then we bite and devour with, our political, social, or moral perspectives suddenly collide with someone who has a different view. Immigration, clash. Voting rights, wallop. Abortion. Taxes or funding of public schools, bang, thump. One of two conclusions then often follows. They are ignorant. Or... They are smart, and they choose to believe in what they know is wrong. This collision model is known as the evil moron stupid model of biting and devouring. Can we just turn off the television, skim through the newspapers, and delete the breaking news? Yet the biting and the devouring often doesn't stop with television and political races. It's in our families at the Thanksgiving table is in the places where we work. It's in our schools, it's in nightclubs, and even in our places of worship. 
We are people who are near the brink of consumption. So, I'd like to offer a few words of wisdom from David Elmas for you to ponder. Wisdom from the inside, where there is no sun and there is gray walls. For people on the outside. Midsummer wisdom, if you will. Wisdom that comes from standing in the, va- in, the ap- in the apex, a vantage point, from somewhere between inside and outside. David L. Moss, we have two classes in particular that come to mind to me this day. They're the men's classes. One we call Real Talk. It really comes from the material about nonviolent communication that was done by Marshall Rosenberg's uh, at the end of the last century. The other piece of information comes from changing criminal thinking. That's just our name for it. There's really not criminal thinking. We just have errors in thinking. And what the research shows is that there are errors that people have in thinking that keep them going into the system. And there are only 16 of them. They're manageable. The reality is we all have the thinking errors. So let's start first with real talk. Nonviolent communication. Nonviolent communication is based on the premise that every event, every situation is neutral. It is what it is. It's what we make out of it that determines whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, just, unjust, responsible, irresponsible. Every situation in and of itself is just neutral. It is what it is until it isn't anymore. And if we listen to Paul, the power to determine that next moment is ours. I am responsible for the actions I take and the words that leave my mouth. It's my choice whether I love or I devour in the next moment. So that's the first piece of wisdom. Every situation is neutral. And I have the power to respond in love. That love may be empathy, may be understanding. It may just merely be sitting there, biting my tongue and listening. But I have the choice. And Paul says that choice is ours. Just know what the consequences are of the next moment. The next three pieces are going to come from changing criminal thinking. In those 16 errors... There are correctives, and three of them really apply to us during this season that I see as biting and devouring. So here they are. Number one, no blame. It goes with the victim stance. I couldn't help it. It was their fault. Here's one of my favorites from David L. Moss. Here's what the guy said. If they hadn't built the liquor store on the corner, I wouldn't have gone in. (laughs) It's their fault I'm here. Blaming. True story. Instead of taking stock of himself, he blamed others for his addiction as well as the actions he made while using alcohol. If I can blame others, so the thought process goes, then I'm not responsible for my actions. That's an error in thinking. We are responsible for our actions. If they hadn't left the keys on the car, the the seat car, I wouldn't have stolen the car. 
If I hadn't been hungry, I wouldn't have stolen the chicken, said the woman to me who lives out of the daycare for the, the day shelter for the homeless and gets three meals a day. Blaming is prevalent at the jail, and blaming is rampant on the outside of the walls. The light hadn't changed yellow, I wouldn't have had to run it red. They called me a bully, so I called them an idiot. It's the way I was raised. I can't help it. Addictions run in my family. I don't have a choice. The corrective, no blame. I cannot blame others. And frankly, I can't blame myself either. I just need to be responsible for the actions I take. And if someone else has let me down or even worse, violated my trust or my person, then I need to understand that I'm not to blame. Others must take accountability for their actions. I am not responsible for doing their work for them, and I'm not to blame for the actions that they take. It's a particularly important piece of wisdom for the women we see at David Almas, whom you heard 90% are victims of domestic violence. And all too often, they blame themselves for the, the abuse they have suffered. No blame. Healthy boundaries. That's number one. The second one is ownership. Ownership is the error. The corrective is to understand that I cannot make anyone else do or say what I want them to do. I can't. No one owns another person. In our English language, we have a name for that. And we call it slavery. No one is obliged to act how I want them to act. I can't make anyone, politician or my best friend, act the way I want them to act or say the things I want to hear from them. I can clarify. I can challenge. I connect. I can make clear requests. I can suggest. I can hold them accountable. Yet no one has the obligation to act like I want them to. One could make an argument that when it comes to children, there might be an exception. After all, aren't we supposed to make children do the right thing to be responsible? Shouldn't we do that? Perhaps. However, there's a difference between making children do something and our ability to guide, to nurture, nurture give choices, and hold them accountable for their choices. It's like the magical story that came from summer camp. It was the last day of camp, and they had gathered for the final celebration. Campers, staff, moms, dads, counselors, sisters, brothers, friends, grandparents, gathered in the pavilion on a hot June day as the energizers blared off of the sound system. If you watched closely, you could see a little boy wrestling with this counselor, dancing with that one, piggybacking off of the other one. A grand promenade of perpetual motion, little boy and counselors, a do -si do here, an alaman left there. It had been that way all week. <laughs> Each counselor, in their turn, creating a safe place for that child to grow and to be. I don't own anyone. I can't make people act like I want them. 
It's what the camp counselors knew. All the counselors could really do was to create a safe space for that little boy. Perhaps that's all each of us needs or wants, a safe space to grow and an accountability partner to dance along with us. No blame. I don't own anyone. And the third and last nugget of wisdom is, I can and I must. I can and I must are the correctives to the age-old I can't excuse, and it's cousin, I'll try. You know that phrase that you use, I'll try, when you respect me too much to say no to my face. And if you don't succeed, you can always say, I tried. What we know is that people caught in the error of I can't are really saying, I don't want to. I don't want to put in the effort. I don't want to do that. And if someone is intent on being irresponsible, that person truly cannot be responsible. It's their choice. Yet, you are here today because you know that we must. We must be responsible with the power given to us. I can't is not a choice for us. For us, the question is, how can we and when? We must pay attention to issues of justice for all people, regardless of race, religion, gender, age, and for nature itself. The ground of our being. Contemporary British actor Paul Shane Spear made the comment that as one person, I cannot change the world, but I can change the world for one person. Here on Hope Hill, you have created a sanctuary for the human soul, as well as for birds, butterflies, and even worms. A place of safety and beauty where people can dare to dream and find the courage to step back out into that world that is all too consuming, consuming all too often consuming itself. So today's midsummer wisdom is this: every situation is neutral. Our goal is to be responsible in that moment. No blame, neither of myself or of others. And no one must act as I want them to act. And I can and I must. And there's one more nugget of wisdom from David Almas. We say a prayer at the end of every class. It's a version of the serenity prayer that many of the people we see will say or have said in AA and NA programs. And here's the prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the ones I can, and the wisdom to know that the only one I can actually change is me. It is up to us to be the miracle workers, the creators of safe spaces, to realize that it's not our job to change the world, but to change the world for the better for one person or the space in which I find myself at that moment. I've heard it happen. I heard it from a news article on NPR this last week when they were talking about the dance held in Orlando Thursday night. The young voice was saying, no amount of hate is going to make us afraid. We're going to come out and celebrate and dance and move forward and laugh and love and be Orlando strong. 
That's who we are. I heard it in song Friday night from Council Oak Men's Course. I am in need of music, they sang. There is a magic made by melody, a spell of rest and quiet breath and cool heart that sinks through the fading colors deep to the subaqueous stillness of the sea and floats forever on a moon-green pool held in the arms of rhythm and of sleep. As people of faith, we stand in the mystical power of the already and the not yet, one foot in the moment, and one foot ready to step out into the mystery of the next moment. And so I challenge you, especially after Sunday's the program this morning, of reality tunnel. I challenge you to get into that reality tunnel one day, maybe only one hour, and practice. No blame. Don't blame yourself or anyone else. Realize that I can and I must, and that I can't make anybody else do what I want them to do. It's a summer solstice moment. A moment when time stands still and we find ourselves poised on the threshold with the freedom to change things or just keep them the same. May we choose with wisdom.